Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Welcome back, everybody. We have a special uh, episode today with a special guest. Super special. The little girl that's joining us today is actually our daughter, Tessa. It is, we are very excited to have her on. We have an exciting topic to talk about. It's hard conversation, but she's been, uh, she's willing to, to talk about it and just to share her story and her experience. But before we jump into that, why don't we get to know Tessa a little bit? So Tessa, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are some of your many hobbies that you enjoy doing? So um, one of my biggest hobbies is dancing. I've been doing it for a long time and I love it so much. I also really like writing and um, doing acting and theater. I also like to do photography. I like baking and I also like to do watercolor. (laughs) (laughs) You have a lot of interests. Yeah. (laughs) So how old are you and where are you in the birth order? So I'm 12 years old and I have two older siblings and one younger. Okay. And where do you live? Just in case our guests haven't picked, our (laughs) our, um, audience hasn't picked up on that yet. I live in Thailand. And you happen to be also bilingual, right? (laughs) Yes. So you speak Thai and English now. Yep. And you're Mom and Dad's tutors. <laughs> yeah. My tutors. And Tessa has, we've had many situations where we, well, Luke and I both speak Thai, but not not like her. Not <laughs> near as well as her, and we'll be out in public, and she will dutifully, sometimes not super thrilled about it, <laughs> provide her translating services, um, which we've had to work on because we used to kind of push her to do that. And that caused a lot of anxiety because she's just a kid. That's part of the, actually, I can connect to some of our conversation today. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, yeah, we're super thankful that Tessa um, not only is willing, but actually has a desire to create more awareness about this topic. And so, even though she's a child, she wants to do this. She wants to share with you, our audience, this really important topic. So And has engaged in this conversation in other avenues to, mm-hmm. of education, support. For the last few years, yeah. It's been really, really a very meaningful part of her growth journey, and she wants to share with you today, um, most likely as parents, but maybe some kids will listen to this too. The topic is about glass children, and the definition that we've kind of come up with based on other people's impressions of what a glass child is, is as follows. A child who has a sibling with significant needs, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, or intellectual, who tend to demand more resources from their parents, which in turn causes unintentional emotional or physical neglect of the glass child. So that's kind of the overarching summary of this, and we're going to jump in uh, to the details more. So why don't we think of some examples that we can give the audience. A lot of times a glass child, they'll just refer to it as some a sibling of someone with a disability. But disability has certain connotations that doesn't actually cover everything that a glass child can be. So we'll, let's think of some physical examples of uh, a sibling with a significant physical need that we can help our audience 
help you guys think of what this could look like. So some physical disabilities, obviously more commonly thought of ones would be things like cerebral palsy or a type of mobility disability. Or any health issues that requires lots of doctor appointments, uh, therapies, surgeries. Monitoring. Mm-hmm. So that, that includes many things, many chronic illnesses or um, physical disabilities, things like diabetes or food allergies or asthma, uh, then more, you know, serious, not serious, more complex medical needs like genetic disorders or maybe, maybe a child's born with like a, an anomaly or something that needs constant monitoring or surgeries. So these things all obviously are very demanding to mm-hmm. the parents of these children. So those would be physical type significant needs that can detract from the needs of the glass child being met. Um, let me just jump in right now because we didn't explain why it's considered a glass child. So before we give the other examples, Tessa, why don't you jump in and kind of explain the term glass, what that refers to. So glass children are um, called glass because they tend to be seen through like they're glass because everyone is just um, looking through them into the, uh, the child that has the disability or needs. So um, yeah, that's typically why they call it a glass child. But another reason is because they look strong because they have like built an outer exterior so that they can be strong but sometimes they're not they need their parents to provide for them they can't just do it all by themselves because they're only kids but at the same time they actually are very strong because they have been able to overcome so many things Hmm. and have learned that they need to be strong or quote-unquote need to be strong yeah so that's what they feel like they need to do yeah, that's a great definition, Tessa. It is. Um, you explained that so well, why it's referred to as glass children. Great job. So physical, um, the significant needs of the affected child. So we'll refer to the two different children in this scenario. One, the glass child. This is the typical sibling. And then the affected child is the, the child that has any of the high needs that we're referring to. So we've already discussed physical. So then there could be mental or emotional. Those two kind of go together, but they can be distinct too. Luke, do you want to elaborate on what those things could be? So yeah, those could be kids that just um, struggle with like social situations, have a lot of anxiety, maybe ADHD or on the um, autism spectrum. They're they're just needing a little more intentional help and support. Could be uh, learning disabilities. And so the parents have to focus on them and help them get the therapies that they need, whether it's speech therapy or OT, counseling, any of those types of things. They're taking them from one therapy to another therapy or making sure that they do their homework, uh, helping them focus. Structuring the day very tightly so that their needs are met and there's scaffolding to help them thrive. Right. Not realizing that the, the glass child may totally be falling through the cracks. Yeah, because if you have that tunnel vision of meeting the obvious needs, it's, gonna, it's very easy to miss the non-obvious needs. But like Tessa explained, the child also has learned to uh, not present their needs. That's why we said like intentional or unintentional. 
the parent might not even know or even have the capacity to realize that there's other needs and that they're missing needs of, of the glass child. So on top of that, um, more si maybe more serious mental health issues would be things like a, a sibling who has uh, suicidal ideation or uh, violent outburst tendencies or maybe is involved in drugs and alcohol and that creates erratic behavior in the home. Then things that are you know more seen more obviously as mental health, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, personality disorders, mood disorders. So those would all fall under the mental health category. Uh, and then intellectual, Luke touched on that a bit. So learning disabilities could fall under that, maybe not. Um, but also uh, cognitive delays, cognitive impairments, so that that child genuinely needs lots of scaffolding because they don't have the cognitive capacity that maybe their glass sibling, glass children siblings do. And lot more co-regulation, which takes a lot of the capacity of the parent. And the glass child just kind of uh, floats along the days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those are some examples. Um, obviously, we are just touching on what this can look like. But I, I would love to know, Tessa, for you on this journey of growth, so you're 12 years old, I'm wondering when you, if you could share with our audience, when you first started realizing what, when you first came into awareness of this term. So I learned about the term glass child around two years ago, and that, like, was so helpful. I just felt like I, everything made sense. And it was so helpful for me to see that I wasn't the only one that was feeling this way and that it's actually like a real thing that many families go through. And so, um, yeah, that was just really helpful. How did you learn about it? Something you saw, read, somebody you talked to? I think I saw like a TED Talk or um, an article or something that a mom, my mom told me about and that is how I discovered it. Okay. So you did you instantly resonate with it, or did it take some time? Um, I don't remember completely, but I think it was pretty instant. Yeah. Yeah. What does it feel like when you get that language given to you of something that you didn't have words for before? So I think a lot of kids, they don't know what, what is going on. They just think it's, it's reality, so that's all they know. And then once they're given words to describe what they're going through, it's like so amazing and so much, it, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Is it empowering? Was yes, it empowering? very empowering. Okay. It was something I noticed is when you had that language, you were able to talk with us about it. Yeah. And start being able to, we were able to have better conversations intentionally to stop seeing through you and mm -hmm. seeing through your needs. Mm -hmm. And it gave you, empowered you to advocate for your needs. Yeah. What was some of your experiences as you look back? You can see that were glass children, child experiences. Um, it might be a bit hard for me to think of like specific experiences. That's but, fine. Um, things like there would be a lot of arguments and stuff and if I need to ask one of you guys a question I would have to wait because mm -hmm. there was things going on and I just had to you know just do it myself or figure it out myself. And what were some of those things you had to figure out was that like school related life related friends? 
Yeah, pretty much every area. <laughs> All the above. Yeah. Yeah. What are what were some of the things that you do you remember any of the things that thoughts that you had wishing you could talk to somebody or situations where like I don't wanna do this but I don't wanna rock the boat anymore? Um well I think at first I was just like like trying to not disturb you guys and I was like, Okay, you're doing something, I'm I'll just try to figure it out myself. Uh, I didn't want to rock the boat, like you said. Um, there was some time later in the in this that I was kind of like a bit frustrated that I that you weren't you guys weren't available to listen to me, and uh, so there was a lot of emotions throughout this time. What was that frustration feel like? Well, like what can that communicate to a glass child? That parents probably don't mean to communicate, but what does what does that say to the glass child about their value in the home, their importance? Well, it might it might um, seem to them that their parents, you know, don't have time for them, or their other sibling, their uh, affected sibling needs. I mean, is more important than them and um, deserves more attention. So yeah. it unintentionally gave the, gave the message that my voice, my needs, my experience isn't valid or yeah. as important. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that, fr- that would be frustrating. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're just a kid and need some guidance and support and help also. Mm-hmm. So how did that internal world of yours... What is what did that start happening in there? You said there's frustration, emotional. What do you remember feeling? How did that affect your days or relationships? Um, well, I think once I started learning about Goss Children, it it helped me a lot to be able to talk to you guys a lot more, mm-hmm. so that I found my voice, and yeah. um, that was like beyond helpful. But before that, I just tried to go along with my day and, you know, try not to make a big deal out of anything. What was it like to feel invisible? Sometimes, like what I said before, I would get frustrated and, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel good. But sometimes I wasn't even aware that I was invisible. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So Tessa, we know that there's frustration. And I feel like that's a big one on the top of the surface that kind of covers a lot. But can you try to give us some other feelings that you are feeling that were maybe more specific and underneath the, the surface? Well, there was a lot of emotions. Um, one of them was hurt. I felt like I wasn't being seen. And because I wasn't, right. but um, that's hurtful. Yeah, that's hurtful. And then powerlessness because I felt like I couldn't do anything about it, mm. and I just you know tried to stay on the sidelines. So you saw a problem and wanted to be seen, but didn't have the language or the power to change the system that you were stuck in. Mm-hmm. And then there was anger. I would get angry that things couldn't just be different and that I would be able to be heard. Who were you angry at? 
Um, it's okay. I think I, <laughs> I think I was angry at everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Your parents. Yeah. Siblings. Siblings. Maybe God sometimes. Yeah. Because you wanted things to, you wanted to just have a happy family, right? Right. And how did you show that anger? I didn't. Yep. <laughs> I didn't show it. <laughs> no, you didn't. Why didn't you show it? Because I was afraid of rocking the boat and being a burden, another burden to mm. the family. And I, and I thought since the family is falling apart, quote unquote, quote unquote she's doing the finger. Yeah, <laughs> I just can't see that. Um, that I have to stay strong and not fall apart. Mm. That's a lot of pressure for a kid to feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we talk about this on our podcast about having a story and telling your story, knowing your story, processing your story. If we don't do that, then it causes, it gets stuck in our body. Mm-hmm. And as we were preparing, you were mentioned a few other emotions that you were feeling. Um, one of them was depression. Yeah. And like, that's a sign of being, of emotions being stuck. Like when you stuff anger because you can't show it, it doesn't go away. And so what was that depression feeling like? Uh, it felt, I felt very alone and hopeless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a lot, I had depression during a lot of things. And then at different times I had depression, some more than others, uh, pro- when I was processing or when I was like in the midst, in the midst of it. Yeah. And, um... And feeling a lot of longing because it's hard to be living in such a chaotic environment. And sometimes I just want everything to be okay and everything to be perfect. And there's some days when I'm just like, oh, we didn't start off the day with fighting. This is going to be awesome. And then (laughs) it's... Short-lived. Yes, it's hard to... uh, I I have so much hope, and then it's hard to be let down because, you know, it's life. It's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Well, very well said. This is so hard. Yeah. And as I hear you talking about these emotions, I hear so many of it just intertwined. Mm-hmm. Like, why were you angry? Because you felt powerless. You felt hopeless. You were scared. Why are you depressed? Because you were stuffing anger. Because you felt powerless. Because you felt hurt. Because you felt hopeless. Why were you angry? Because you had a longing that wasn't being met. Why were you afraid? Because you felt powerless and hopeless and hurt. Like you list and so well describe these emotions and how you experienced them. And this, as you were talking, I just hear them so feeding each other mm-hmm. and intertwined. It wasn't like, oh, I'm hurt now. And it moved into powerless. They're very much overlapped. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important for parents to know about their kids and for glass children to have a language that there's so much underneath the surface of, yeah. of kids in general, but of a glass child, that without intentionality, you're not going to know what is going on because they may not have a language for it. And also... They have a fear that if they do verbalize it, 
there's just going to be another problem in the family. Mm-hmm. So I'd love Tessa to elaborate on that a bit of why, you know, there might be some parents listening to this and saying, well, technically we fit the categories. We definitely have some children or one child with significant needs. But the other kids in the house, they seem fine to me, I think. Mm-hmm. What would you say, Tessa, following up on what Dad was saying, of why should parents think twice about that? Why do glass children feel the need to show that everything's okay on the outside? Explain that more. So glass children are really good at hiding it. Like When I look back, I see that I was typically a pretty happy person outside of the house and a lot of the time inside the house. And that was because I was hiding a lot of things that I was feeling on the inside. Glass children take on a lot of responsibility, way more than a child should. And uh, they feel the responsibility that they have to be okay. Even if they're not, they have to hold everything together and um, not become a problem. So they're really good at putting on that front that things are okay. Mm -hmm. And you've had a really good insight as we've talked about this on the podcast, the Enneagram. You've had some really good thoughts about your number. Mm Want to explain that a little bit in reference to putting up that front and wanting to hold things together? So I am a two on the Enneagram, which the two is a helper. And um, as we were preparing, I had some insight where I that I never actually had thought of before, but um, is that it's that um, I think that I might have been a bit shaped and molded into that too because of the family I had. I felt like I had to help a lot and you know do things and be a good person and not have problems and like a two wants to overhelp needs to be needed and people doesn't, pleaser people pleaser doesn't have necessarily good boundaries because their needs don't matter everybody else's do mm-hmm. and so that was very much your experience and you felt like you had to always help mm-hmm. and your needs didn't matter you didn't have boundaries just help the people around you be okay and a core need for every single child born from the beginning of time has been to receive the love of their parents. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like you maybe like you realized that you were kind of morphed into that, like pushed into that role? Do you think that deep down you were trying to secure love in an environment where you weren't sure if you were going to get love? that that was a way you could be loved. Right. If I was not problematic, if and I was if I was helpful and um I was scared to share my needs because I didn't want to I was scared that it was going to be my fault. If I was good enough, then I would be loved and I wanted love more than anything else. I wanted to be accepted and seen. So that was my best plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's really brilliant when we look back at the ways we get our needs met. 
we can honor ourselves because we adapt. We adapt to the hard situations around us, and that was a brilliant adaptation. And now that you have insight into it, you can and have. You have right. Now it's so different because now you realize, oh, I can I can receive love just from from being me, because I'm worthy of love even if I'm not helping someone out. Mm-hmm. And you've done that in amazing ways. I'm curious. Um, what are some of the things you've done in your journey as you've just been getting older and once you realized what glass ch- a glass child was a few years ago? In this process, what have you done to process your story and also find some healing from those years of not being, not realizing you were being hurt? So, as I said earlier, I um love to write so that has been a major part of healing and processing i um have written a lot of poems um i've done a lot of poetry and i actually wrote a book a children's book (laughs) about my experience and that has been a very how have those things helped you it's helped me process everything. Right. And that is very important for mm-hmm. healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you if you don't process what you've just been through, then it's all blur and you... Get stuck. You get stuck, yeah. Yeah, and your poetry has been... It's so beautiful. And seeing you process your hurts, your trauma, your wounds... I mean, it's been such a... I've learned so much from this girl. Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, watching you learn how to grieve has just taught Dad and I so much about grief. Um, It was so natural. More than reading five books on grief could have done because you were so intuitive Intuitive, with your body. When you wanted to write, you just wrote and wrote and wrote. And when you wanted to share, you just shared it. And if you wanted to cry, you cried. And if you wanted to process, you processed and if you wanted to go out in the sun, you went out in the sun. If you wanted to listen to music, I mean, you just were, have been so intuitive as you've been growing and learning and healing. Um, I think it's why you're as healthy as you are today. Yeah. Yeah, and you've been had, again, opportunities to share that poetry with other glass children in um, different avenues that have been really helpful for them, giving them language. I actually even use some of your poetry in counseling because... <laughs> It's so good imagery of, of grief, and the intuitiveness of it was really cool. And it, it throughout the process, you became more and more intuitive. Like you wrote a st- you wrote your book, then you were writing poetry, and it just became like Mom was describing, just flourishing into a way of living mm-hmm. for us for a season. And now it's becoming part of the way you do life. Um, just seeing you have a voice and saying, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's been hard. It has been hard, but you've been growing in that ability to have good, healthy boundaries because your story matters. Honestly, it feels really good <laughs> yeah. to have boundaries. Yeah. Why does it feel good? What does it give you? It gives me so much more control over myself and power and I don't feel like I, you know, have to do something just because yep. that I can choose for myself and have boundaries. Yeah. 
beautifully so said. is there anything else you have given pa- the parents who listen to this the family members the grandparents even the kids or the teens who want to listen to this even the adults that realize wow I was a glass child when yeah. I was little mm-hmm. you have given them so much valuable content here today Tess and I just want to make sure is there any other um, pieces of advice you want to give parents maybe in the present who, who realize wow I definitely have a child or two children or whatever who would qualify as a glass child. Anything you want to give them of advice on how to help support those children? So um, it's very important that you check with your children if you may, if you see that they look like they're doing okay, you should check if they really are. Make sure that you can talk with them without other kids around. Make sure that a lot of kids, they don't know what they're feeling because they're only kids. They don't know how to put in words what they are experiencing. So if you could help them, uh, give them a language so that they can better process and understand, then that would be... Very helpful. Very helpful, yeah. Yeah. Do you think kids naturally know how to set boundaries or do you think they might need help from their parents on how to do that with their sibling? They definitely don't know how. That's something that you have to learn. Yeah, and so the parents have to show them how to put up boundaries. Mm-hmm. And say it's okay. Mm. Give, Encourage them to and not, you know, Get upset how. with them. Yeah, right. I remember times when you were little. And you would be wanting, maybe trying out to have boundaries with certain siblings. And I would, I didn't realize what was happening. I would be like, no, Tessa, like be kind or be, be nice. And I think back to those experiences and I, and I cringe inside because I realized you were trying to use your voice and I didn't realize you felt uncomfortable or unsafe or threatened and that you needed to put those protective boundaries around yourself so you didn't experience powerlessness which is what leads to trauma I didn't recognize those dynamics and I didn't empower you to have those boundaries in that voice and so uh, parents hear us that sometimes we think you know with looking proper or nice on the outside we push our kids to do that when really we're taking away their safety completely. Yeah. And so you have to maybe help them put up boundaries when they don't realize they need boundaries, Mm -hmm. which teaches them, oh, I do need to do this. Mm -hmm. I also think it's so, so important to realize the need for repair in this conversation because almost no parent intends harm to their child. But the reality is we harm our children often. And that's been something that's been so hard for Luke and I to accept in our parenting growth journey, but crucial to realize the harm that we cause, even without knowing, needs to be repaired from us. Our kids need to see that we can sit with their hard emotions about what it's been like for them to be a glass child, that they don't have to censor it, They can share exactly how they feel and how hurt they are and how mad they might be at us. And we can receive all of the rage of that without trying to redirect and blame them somehow. Um, And that we can then repair and we can make it right as best as we can. We can apologize and grieve with them and cry with them. 
And really just that repair part, I think, speaks volumes to our kids' hearts that we love them enough to have been wrong, to see that we were wrong, that we didn't want to hurt them, but we did hurt them, um, and that we're willing to repair it slowly, to rebuild their trust and to show them that they can trust us and that we will keep them safe. So yeah, that that reality of repair is so important. And you're, what you're explaining is what Adam calls the big six. Adam Young calls the big six. That's attuning, responding, engaging, regulate your emotions, allowing them to have hard emotions, and then apologizing. And that's what this process is, is attuning to the glass child and saying they have needs, engaging with those needs, those hurts, responding to them, regulating yourself, and saying, yep, I messed up, and then allowing them to have that anger, that hurt, that honesty, and then apologizing and saying, I didn't mean this, I'm so sorry. And that's actually what stops harmful things from becoming traumatic experiences. Lifelong. Lifelong, and Mm -hmm. and, um, being stuck in the body, but giving them that opportunity to process it, grieve it, and let it go. And it's still gonna be a memory, it's still gonna be part of their story, but it doesn't have to be stuck in their body in lifelong trauma. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just to add to that, we can even ask them, how can I make it better? The idea of, of making something right, actually going the extra mile to bring repair is kind of different in Western culture. We don't really have that too much, but it's a really beautiful thing that you can see even in the Bible where people would make things right that were wrong, like restitution. Um, So I would even encourage that that's a a possibility with your child of how can I make this better? How can I help bring some healing balm to this area that's been so in so much pain for so long and I didn't know? Another way that you can help support your glass child is just do fun things with them without other kids. Show them that you appreciate who they are and uh, talk with them, you know, just give them a bit of your time just all for them Mm. so that they feel like they can be seen and heard. And those things that you're recommending, um, listen to them, give them space to talk without other kids around, take them out, be with them. You think parents should probably do that regularly, right? Yes. Not just like, oh, once a year, Mm -hmm. here's your attention. (laughs) Definitely not that. (laughs) Regularly nurture that relationship Mm -hmm. and connection. Yeah. So, so good. And we'll just encourage parents, too, who are hearing this. Sometimes you need help of a licensed counselor. Sometimes you realize, wow, we are in over our head, and we have done this multiple times with our family, and there's absolutely zero shame in it, that you need help from someone with more experience to guide you on how to give your child voice who maybe has gone through a lot of trauma that you didn't even realize was happening in your home. Yep. Um, and so don't feel, don't feel hesitant to jump into that because there are a lot of resources that could really help you. And it's worth it because your child's childhood is so formative for the rest of their life. So don't wait until they're adults to talk to them about this. <laughs> Go for it now, right? Yeah. It's totally worth it. And like we say, their stories matter. Um, and this topic is just 
so close to our hearts and we really hope it's been an encouragement a lot of uh insight we hope you've received from this episode and we just thank tessa so much for being vulnerable and sharing a really personal intimate part of her story with you all we hope that you attend to it with care and that it is meaningful and helpful for your journeys While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.